Hello and welcome to I Can Relate. I'm Jessica Burns. This podcast puts you in the shoes of others as people take us on their journeys of personal and sometimes sensitive experiences. These are usually topics that are not spoken about and the hope here is that by bringing them to light, it helps others feel less alone in what they're going through. I look forward to embarking on this journey with you as we develop a greater understanding and empathy for one another. Today I spoke with Nathan. We talked about his journey with drug addiction and where it all started. This is a story about how perhaps issues growing up and wanting to escape the thoughts in your mind can lead you down a path of addiction. And he tells a really powerful story of eight years of doing opioids and coming off of that and where he is now, which is he's out there saving lives. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Nathan. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Okay, awesome. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How's it good going? Where are you right now? I'm at home right now. Nice. So Southern California, were you born and raised there? No, no, I was born and raised in Tennessee. Okay, cool. Nice. Um, so I guess I, it'd be great to start off with, tell us a little bit about yourself, Nathan. Yeah. Um, I'm 29 years old. I was born and raised in a small, really small town in Tennessee. Um, there's probably, I think at that point there was around 1500 people that lived there. So it's like really small. Everybody knows everybody probably. Well, there were 70 students in my graduating class. I think, um, I have one older brother. Um, I was raised by a single, a single parent. My dad was a, was, you know, a single father. Um, and you know, my, he, and he had, uh, he had to work two jobs and, and whatnot to raise us. My mom was kind of out of the picture there at a very early age. So, you know, he had to do a lot of things by himself. Um, you know, so I graduated school, graduated high school. And then uh, after that, you know, life uh, went downhill. Uh, really quick I, I got accepted into college and that time I, at that time I mean I was partying pretty heavily but I didn't really have a, what what you would call a substance use disorder you know it was more like misuse per se and um there's a difference um and so I got accepted into school but I didn't go and because I knew I was going to flunk out and so I just I stayed home and I I sold drugs and then I think that following October um I ended up trying opiates for the first time and I got um addicted and went on an eight year eight it was went on for eight years of just using and trying to get sober and and then using just you know in and out like fighting a lot of demons you know whatever you want to call it and um I got sober in uh 2018 in October um I've been sober since. I do uh, I do a lot of nonprofit work in the community. Uh, you know, with uh, with people that are houseless or you know that are um, affected by the opioid epidemic. So going back a little bit, taking it back, I think I read online that you had had mentioned in your early childhood that your mother had kidnapped you. Do you think that that yeah or perhaps the, your parents splitting up was anything that led to the issues you experienced with addiction? 
I think, yeah, I, I think it led to me feeling alone and isolated for sure. And that's like a big part of addiction is, is, is isolation. You know, I didn't, I didn't trust nobody. And, um, and my dad was on, my dad was never around. So I never felt good enough for my parents. And I was too young. I was too young to realize that my dad was doing the best that he could with what he had. Like, that's what I know now. You yeah. know, and um, and he, you know, my dad drank a lot back then. He, he drank a lot, and um, you know, he doesn't anymore, but he did back then. And you know, and now I see that he was just coping and dealing with it the best that he could. And but as a five and a six year old, like I didn't know that there was no yeah. way to know that. I had no way to, uh, I didn't even know how to identify these feelings I was feeling. Nonetheless, cope with them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? How do you? you know, how do you, how do you tell a six-year-old that, how do you do that? How do you provide like accurate therapy to a six-year-old, yeah. you know, you know, how do you do that? Cause they try to put me in therapy. They try to put me in therapy, but I wouldn't talk. I didn't even understand like what was going on around me and how it was affecting me nonetheless, how to process it. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point of like, you were given the help, but it, it still didn't help you. What yeah. was life like for you in your childhood? Um, it was chaotic, honestly, you know. Um, I mean, I can remember, I can definitely remember like my parents fighting and stuff like that. I can definitely remember, um, you know, my mom being out of the picture. I always worried about her. I, I always, it was like the, the situation with my mom was like, it was horrible for me to be around her and it was horrible for me to be away from her. You know what I mean? Because when I wasn't around her, I never knew if I was going to see her again. And then if I was around her, you know, I was like, is this the last time I'm going to see you again? You know what I mean? Why, was, I, why did you think that you wouldn't see her again? Oh, well, cause she just, she just took off. I mean, she pretty much abandoned us. You know what I mean? I woke up one morning and she was gone and I knew I like, I was so smart. Like I knew that like something was wrong as like a five-year-old, yeah. you know what I mean? Like something internally told me like something was wrong Yeah. and I was right. And what do you, what was your experience with being kidnapped? um so she so she came and got us right so she had like visitation and we had family in from ohio and they were like at my dad's place and they're like you want to go with your mom you want to stay here and i was like so we went with my mom and so we had visitation with her and she just never she just never took us back we were in kentucky and so where i lived at in tennessee and kentucky is like the border is like probably three minutes from my house back then so you can easily be in another state and she took us to Kentucky. We were in the middle of like nowhere. I think this town is like probably 500 people. Like it's an old coal mining town in the middle of nowhere. Um, and we stayed in like this holler, uh, just way back in the mountains. And we stayed there and stuff like that. And she just like convinced us that what she was doing was the right thing to do. So she pretty much brainwashed us. That's pretty much what happened. What and that's holler, like what does holler mean you said holler means like the the valley like like between like two mountains oh wow and so you're between them yeah that's just that's that's like uh that's that's slang that's like eastern <laughs> appalachian slang all right i, I, yeah. I was like they were staying in the holler i was like was this a hostel <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry uh, <laughs> wow okay so you eventually did make your way back to your dad but you don't think that you were better off I mean, I was so, at that point, you know, she had, 
she she said i can i can't remember exactly what she said but she she told us like my dad was gonna either do something to us like carry us off in like bags or carry her off in a bag i don't even know but something something along those lines is like i i can remember like a body in a bag like yeah. you know say the least and she told us that and so she convinced us what she was doing was right we ended up going to um uh DCS Department of Children's Services and she ended up getting arrested and then we go back with my dad and that time I'm like well what's really going on I, I was too young to understand that like what she had just done to me yeah and my brother how much what's the age difference with your brother he's five years older than me he's five years older okay wow yeah wow so when do you think you lost control with with substance abuse I think you said it started with alcohol in high school yeah I mean, if we, if we look back, like if it's for like, if we look back at it, like I started self-harming as a way to like get outside of myself. So that's like the start of it. Like, mm-hmm. and that started very young. I don't even think I'd made it to 10 years old and I was self-harming. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't like the way I felt and, and, and all these things and all these feelings and stuff like that. And all these thoughts that I was, I was having, I was very confused. I didn't know what was going on. And I was just very angry. I hated the world, you know what I mean? Very angry, very angry child. And um, yeah, I started self-harming. And then maybe um, anything that got me outside of myself when I was younger, like um, I would um, I would uh, play video games like all day or I, would, or I would go skate all day. Like it was always, there was always like anything I put time into, it was either one extremity or the next. There was no like in between. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah. And what were the thoughts you, you didn't want to confront and the feelings? I just never felt good enough. I never felt worthy. I didn't like, as a child, I would have thoughts of what is the point of this experience? You know what I mean? Like, why am I here? Like, this is like, as I was so like, like hurt from what I had been through. Like, why? I was like, why was I born to go through this much pain this early on? I was like, why? is the point of this shit this is what i thought yeah whoa yeah that is really dark for like someone of that age to experience that so so young mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness so you turned to drugs and alcohol and i think you and i spoke before and you said you can remember a moment where you felt you took was it opioid for the first time and you felt um like your problems had lifted can you share that moment yeah, so I, I I looked up that definition and I cannot find it. It's in my paperwork somewhere when I was taking this class and I cannot find the, the, That's all the right. <laughs> definitive term for it. It's going to drive me crazy. But I used, you know, I had experimented before and like I partied hard back then. Like I would drink every day. I would smoke weed every day. And I believe I had even done benzos like here and there. But like it was never like, really an issue it was more just like misusing there's a difference between like misusing substances and like substance use disorder there's completely different would you share what the difference is yeah so to my understanding so substance misuse would be like okay oh like i get a prescription okay and i decide to take four of those pills instead of three or i'm someone like say i have like pain and someone gives me their pain medicine prescription and i take it you know, that's substance misuse, substance use disorder. There's like 10, if you look at, if you look at the DSM-5, which is like how they, they diagnose like disorders and stuff like that, you know, they use it to like kind of 
it kind of like paves a pathway for them to like give a diagnosis. Okay. Um, you have to meet like, there's like 10 questions on it. And I think, and they kind of like diagnose the, the disorder, you know, either mild, moderate or severe, you know, along these kind of like questions and stuff like that on there and like how it pertains to my life. Um, so, so back then, you know, I was just, I would say I, w- I would say I was just misusing like I'm not an addiction professional but this is just my experience and what I know and like from some things I've studied um in my lived experience but back then I was just misusing you know what I mean like it it, it never caused any problems in my life whatsoever for the most part mm-hmm. um and 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 so before I did the opioid I was just like I was just um I was just selling drugs trying to make money like I was that was my high per se was the money and, and all that came with it. And at night I smoked like half a joint before I went to bed. I couldn't even finish it. And that's all I would do. And so I go to this guy's place. I'm there to cop a lot of drugs. He tells me I'm in a bad mood and I need to liven up. And he puts out an M block 30, which is a Roxy codone 30 milligram opioid um, pill. I snort like half of it or half of a half. Um, and it was the best feeling I'd ever felt in my life. I'd never been so euphoric. And that euphoric comfort from that drug, I, I like immediately thought I needed to feel like this for the rest of my life. That was my first thought. Yeah. Tell us more about like how it felt in that moment. Oh, it felt like the war. It felt like a, like it felt, it felt like a weighted heated blanket was wrapped around me and I didn't care anymore. My anxiety was, were, my anxiety was gone. My fears were gone. Um, I just didn't care. Like I could breathe again. Like all my worries were just washed away and it was, it's everything I'd always wanted to happen, you know? Yeah. And that's one intention I really want to get out of this episode is I want people to understand that addiction, like have more empathy towards people who become addicted to drugs like the seed of it is like what you just said, wanting your anxieties to go away. A lot of people can relate to that. So tell us more about what happened after that. So you said eight years of this. What was it like yeah. in your life as an addict? Um, well, well, I'll put, okay. I felt, so, I want to explain how good I felt. So I felt so good that I had enough drugs in the toolbox of my truck to send me away to prison for a very, very long time. And I seen a tree dangling down across the road and I seen a cop there shooting radar, probably looking for drunk drivers. And I pulled in there and told him about this tree that was, that someone could hit. That's how good I felt all the while being extremely intoxicated, but somewhat coherent, Uh, obviously coherent. He didn't take me to jail, you know, and, and then went about my business. I went and like sold some drugs to somebody that night at the bank or something and proceeded home. Yeah, that, but that's also the definition of being like reckless behavior, right? Like oh, there's a party who's like rip, pushing the, the boundaries far yeah, off the rip. Yeah, I had enough drugs. If they would, if I would have like pulled me out, you know, searched my car, like I would went to I, off the rip, went to prison, like yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, that's a new kind of high care. as well. You're chasing as well. Yeah, reckless. Oh yeah, I was yeah. fearless. I did not care. Like did not. I didn't have a care in me. Wow. And and that's one of the things that I I didn't like about myself because I. I felt like I just, my, my nature is like my personality is that I care too much. And when I did drugs, I did not care. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It shut that off. Yeah. How did you fund your drug addiction? I read that you said you spent 400 to $500 a day. I was selling drugs, yeah. stealing, um, 
things like that. Wow. Um, Have you ever done any time at all or been? No, I never got caught. I never got caught. Like right before I went to treatment the first time, the cops were following me around a little bit, but I never got caught. They were, they were eventually going to get me. Like it was just a matter of time, but like they never built a case against me. Yeah. And what did your family at this point, you know, your dad, were you still living at home with him? Uh, the first time I went to treatment? No, when you were, oh. when you started doing drugs. Oh yeah. I was, still, I was living, I was living with my aunt. Yeah. I, 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 upset my parents I was living at my my parents or I was living at my aunt's in high school and then like the end of senior year close to it they like pulled me back to their house because I had like upset them I was reckless okay and then I moved I moved out the day I turned 18 okay and uh I moved in with my aunt and yeah I was just living there and just selling drugs and working and do you think she knew oh yeah at some point yeah she 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 caught on eventually yeah it was obvious what I was doing she she caught on I would always just deny it. that's what we do you know yeah. just lie 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 yeah so for you what was it like to have did you have any loved ones who were trying to pull you out was your aunt there for you trying to stop you or your dad or your brother they would I never really seen my dad that much like I mean I was trying to avoid him um I mean for for many good reasons i mean so it's my dad and my dad's also a cop and my brother's a cop so i was oh my god okay okay yeah so i was trying to stay away from them yeah and how um, did that go but they, um i mean i did good i mean that for a while you know and uh, i was pretty good at it um uh, and yeah she definitely knew though i think one time i even told her i even told yeah. her that I was like using drugs and abusing them it was like it is what it is yeah you know and um so did she ever yeah, kick was... you out no 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 wow no so you have never experienced uh homelessness I've slept in my truck a few nights yeah okay. I've slept in my truck a few nights yeah so how did this impact all of like your friendships, relationships? You said when you were high, like you didn't care at all. How, oh, that must have impacted so... a lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I lost. I gave jobs away. You know, I was a complete, just complete asshole. You couldn't talk to me. I didn't care about myself, so I really didn't care about anybody else. Like, yeah. Wow what was like a turning point for you? I, I read that you had two or three overdoses. Yeah, I had, I had two overdoses and that, that really wasn't the, 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 the thing that did it for me. That was the crazy thing about it. It never, it never stopped me. Um, yeah. I had, it took, it took, I mean, it was so crazy. I just, I'd come out to California and I put together like four months of sobriety. And then I ended up like smoking weed. It was, I didn't really, really do weed. I just did like, like marijuana, like subling. So I can't even say the word, but it's just like under the tongue or whatever. You just like drop it under your tongue. And I okay. did that and I absolutely lost my mind. And I swear to God, and like, I had like a mental break. I was having like four anxiety attacks a day. Um, it was so bad. I couldn't even go to work. And I was watching a movie. And this lady in the movie had agoraphobia. She couldn't leave her house. She's like, you know, whatever. And I was like, holy shit, that's going to be me if I don't get sober. So I thought, I'm not going to die. 
I maybe go to prison or jail. Um, but the big, the, the, the biggest fear, I was like, what if I'm, I don't die or anything happens and I'm sober, but I can never leave my house again for the rest of my life because of my anxiety being so bad. I was yeah. like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I knew I couldn't use successfully. I knew I really sucked at using drugs successfully. You know, obviously I'm like, I can't even do this. And I was doing such a low dose. I was like, I just really suck. And, um, and so I got sober because of that. I, I just lost my, I, my anxiety and like the mental break and I wanted wow. to kill myself. You know, I wanted to run out in front of the Amtrak in Carlsbad village. Like that was my plan. What was um, your plan? My plan was to run out in front of the Amtrak, which is a train. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you feel like you have those thoughts still? No, no, I haven't. I haven't had a suicidal thought since like probably since then, really. Yeah. It's interesting. Radiation. You, you wanted to do the drugs because it stopped your anxiety and then it made it worse. Yeah, essentially the same thing that that oppressed me was the same thing that liberated me. Ooh, wow. I wanted to quote you. You said, I was a nuisance to society and loving me was a liability. I oh, that's... yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it really was. Yeah, I I ruined I I gave away every job I had. I was a complete asshole. Um you know, I couldn't, you couldn't, people didn't want to be around me. I, and if you did, I pushed you away. Um, loving me was hard because, I mean, you didn't know if I was going to die or go to jail. Or I was just reckless. Like, I didn't care. My behaviors, everything, everything about me was just reckless. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was the definition. I mean, there's so much, there's so much more that went on. So much more. Yeah. So you went, you did you did it you did sobriety and not sobriety what's it called you went to rehab three times is that what yeah you I, yeah I, I did i did two i did two stints of rehab yeah okay and then your anxiety like you mentioned it was the trigger for really wanting to pull yourself out of that addiction how long have you been clean now uh through a little over three years yeah. wow congratulations because during you. covid that must have felt quite hard to stay sober oh it was it was it was hard it was really hard yeah yeah do you think a lot of people with addiction issues suffered really hard during covid absolutely i know it for a fact uh, there's yeah. without a doubt i see i've seen people that had 20 years wow like 20 years without putting a substance in their body go back out mm. so oh that that tells you like yeah. how real it is so what was getting clean like? Like everyone says that, throws that phrase around, but like how long does it take to get clean? And what was the experience like? The first time I kicked opioids was at my dad's house. And my dad like took my, he took my, my, uh, my money, my keys, my phone. Um, and he just made me kick it home. And he like, he drove me to work and then he would pick me up. And I was so dope sick that I was like, I don't want to have to, if I get high I'm just prolonging this you know what I mean and I was just so weak I, I just didn't care so I did it it was horrible it was absolutely horrible and then um it took what about does it feel like weeks. it feels like the flu times 20 really yeah you, you can't hold anything down you have diarrhea your whole body hurts and it's like it's like mental it's mental torture it's like because you know how to fix it right it's like if I could just get this one substance I could fix this mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have to feel this way. 
and the, and you just can't do it. And it's like nothing. Like you'll take all the you'll treat the symptoms with ibuprofen, imodium, all this other stuff, and it just won't do it. And you're just like, but you know in your head, if I could just get this substance, I'd feel fine. And it's just it's and that's like the only thought you have in your head, the yeah. only thought you have. And that's what being I mean, it's just it's just being dope sick. It's like it's like a parrot. You just you just it's like your brain doesn't think about anything else, like anything. Like someone could be dying, and I'd be like, I wouldn't think about it. I would just like I. It's so it's the craziest thing I've ever experienced. Because it's all consuming. And did that last for days, for weeks? Oh, it it would last. It would. I mean, it was all day, every day for two weeks. You know, that's when like that's when I felt normal again or normal again you know what I mean I, I I didn't feel sick I didn't feel like I needed something how, and um how many and, times have you I mean, gone like, through that oh god uh, <laughs> um I don't know like nine times ten times nine ten times because that's how many times you've tried to kick it oh I've then... tried to kick it so many times I mean yeah so many times okay and, so three it, years ago was the last time well done that's Thank amazing. You. So for you now, what's it, what's sobriety looking like? Now it's um, I work and I go to school. Um, I do a lot of nonprofit work. Um, Tell us about that. I, um, so the nonprofit work that I do is I distribute Narcan and fentanyl test strips and other um forms of harm reduction in my community and I try to educate people on Narcan and try to like break the stigma around addiction and Narcan and and, you know and and raise awareness of the opioid epidemic yeah and just for others listening out there Narcan can you explain what that is Nathan yeah so Narcan is an opioid antagonist it's been around since I want to say the 70s. It's been around since in the 70s, early 70s, I think. And so it's an opioid antagonist. You cannot get high on it. It goes into the body and it kicks the opioids off the receptors and allows someone to experience an opioid overdose to breathe again for a short amount of time. You can't get high on it. Um, and the only, um, you know, bad reactions to it that I know of is just someone, you know, they when they come too you know a lot of times they experience dope sickness okay and so it's the only thing it can be used for so if you're so i could like take narcan shove it up my nose and give myself a dose it wouldn't do anything to me okay so what is what exactly is an overdose because it sounds like it's something where you can't stop where you can't breathe yeah so it's when like too many it's like it's when the the uh the opioid receptors like too many opioids bind to the receptors and it slows down your breathing and so you, you go into um, the respiratory failure. And so three to five minutes without oxygen, you can go brain dead. And wow. so a lot, of, a lot of times people can still be revived with Narcan, but they've been without oxygen for so long that, that they're, they're brain dead, like they're a vegetable. Wow. So the benefit is of would the person who's, you know, going to experience that, would they have it on them and people would hope to pat them down and find it or that, how does it work? that or that, or my hope is that everybody has Narcan. Everybody that's my hope and that, and the nonprofit that I'm with is that everybody that's willing, able and capable will carry Narcan. Eventually the end goal is to just be over the counter. You just go and get it. Or, you know, we, 
decriminalize drugs because the war on drugs has failed. You know what I mean? It's like obviously never worked. It's not working now. It's just, it's, you know, so, you know, so hopefully that's what will happen. Yeah. Do you think the opioid epidemic is a game? Yeah. Worse? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, statistically, absolutely. People are dying. We have, we've seen a 200% increase in deaths in this county alone. Wow. We've saved over 200 lives in a month and a half. And by we, you're, you're not for profit. Not prof- yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing work. And that's because you've been getting out in the community and distributing and teaching people how to, to use this mm-hmm. on others. Yeah. You can get available. Some people know how to use it. They just can't like the people on this, like a lot of, uh, how people experiencing homelessness or that are houseless, they know that like, they just, from being in that situation, that environment, they know how to use it. They just have no way to get it because if you go to the pharmacy it's so expensive so expensive so it's just getting that into their hands because i believe that people that are either uh the people that are experiencing homelessness or that are practicing substance use disorder um are the first responders to the opioid epidemic yeah wow so you must be super proud of yourself that you can literally say you've saved lives so, oh yeah, I'm stoked. I re- and I remember when you said beforehand, I said, "Is there anything you want me to ask?" And you said, "If I have any regrets." So let's hear. Oh, it. oh yeah, no, I don't. You know, there's been times like in my addiction, like like I wish I never heard my aunt tell me that she didn't know who I was anymore because that really hurt. But like all in all, like. I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't have say, I, maybe I wouldn't be in California. Maybe these people would have died. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. A lot of these things probably wouldn't have happened. Like I wouldn't get to be like a little beacon of hope that I am now for change. You know what I mean? And, and I'm the type of person, like, I don't care. Like if people want to use drugs, let them use drugs. Like, I don't care. You know, like if you're fine with it, use them. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not one of those people that go preach sobriety and recovery. Like, oh, you got to get sober. Like, I don't care. If you want to use drugs, use drugs. You know, that's on you. That's your right. You know, um, but I'm just trying to be there for when they're ready. If they feel like they, they're done, like they're ready, this is not working. They need to find a new way to like experience and live life. That's what I try to do. Um, but yeah, I know I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't know. Okay. Do you have any advice for how people can support those who are, who are struggling with addiction? I would say a lot of patience, a lot of love, a lot of tolerance. I would also not enable them, would not enable them. Honestly, I think my family should have kicked me out. You know, I think they should kick me out. I hate to say it, but I, they definitely enabled me and I get it. Like I get it. Like back then I would tell you like, thank you. You know what I mean? But yeah. they definitely should not have let me live there. You know, I was a danger to them or I could have caused them a lot of problems. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. definitely should have kicked me out to the street. Like, Have you and your family made amends? Oh yeah, no, I flew back home and made amends with them. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on. Um, and is there any final words you want to say? Um, just thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Cool. Let me tell a little bit of my story. No worries. All right. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Thank you. Bye. 
You've been listening to I Can Relate. If you'd like to hear more of these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can do this on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. To become a part of the community, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Join me next time for another episode. Thanks for listening.